You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Sob here. Excited to continue our series talking to educators and folks involved in education who are trying to solve the puzzle of getting kids back to school. Jocelyn Reinhardt is here. She's part of the inaugural crew out in Southwest Ohio. She's actually going to run Institute in the chapter this upcoming year. So hats off to her. And she has some interesting angles to share and to talk about as it relates to education. So let's get to it. All right, Jocelyn, why is this challenge of getting kids back into school so hard? Uh, Well, thanks for having me, Eric. I mean, education is never easy in a world that doesn't exist with COVID. And with COVID being the threat to people's health, uh, health all over the world, everything, every choice that we make, every change that we're having to make has 75 to 100 ramifications (laughs) and different choices that we have to make. Um, It's incredibly difficult. And, um, but the problem is we can't quit. Education is the lifeline out of poverty. Um, Education is important for progressivism. Um, Education equalizes uh, a lot of the issues that we face in poverty and with sexism. And it's something that we have to keep on pushing forward, no matter what the situation is around us. Yeah. And you're coming at this issue from a personal place and a professional one, starting with the professional, though I'm sure you can't really separate the two ultimately, but you are vice president of the Dayton School Board. So how does a school board itself think through all the different challenges from operations to safety to health to instruction right now? Well, our job is to really reflect the needs and the desires of the public that elected us. Um, we need to listen to them. We need to take into consideration their concerns and their Um, issues that really make every decision unique. Um, And we work hand in hand with our really fantastic administrative team. We have a really great superintendent and treasurer, and we talk about all the different options that are in front of us, try to make the best decision for the very unique community that we have. Dayton itself is a very high poverty community. We have about a 30% um, rate of uh, the population that is below the poverty level. And you know as well as I do that the poverty level itself is fantastically low. Um, Mm -hmm. To be above the poverty level doesn't say that much. And so we are working with 12,000 children that, um, you know, many of them, the safest place for them is in school in person. Many children do not have access to high quality health care. They do not have access to um, food uh, high quality food grocery stores. Dayton is the fourth largest food desert in the country. Um, we have children that are being raised in trauma. We have lack of universal health care. I mean, we can go on and on. And so what we have to do in our work in the school board is really dive deep into what does our community need? How do we need to adjust? And how can we make high quality, high quality education accessible for every student in Dayton? And then how are you balancing as an elected official the reality that what's happening in terms of school opening is very similar to what's happening across the country. Everything is piecemeal. So, right. So one district might be contemplating one approach district next door might be doing something different. The County is doing this, the state might say that. And then uh, you have to kind of sort it all out based on what you said in terms of representing the people that got you there. How are you kind of balancing what's happening in the surrounding areas with what y'all want to do? Well, what's interesting in Ohio is we're really seeing the urban school districts take the lead and make the decisions um, we, the decisions we make are, we know that the, a lot of the suburban and surrounding districts are watching us and following our lead. Um, we actually announced yesterday that we were switching from our previous plan to have five, you know, a full return to school five days a week. 
Um, that had been our plan that we made earlier this summer with the considerations and the, the COVID rates being what they were. And, you know, day by day, the rates got uh, higher, higher, and we couldn't ignore the fact that everything was getting so much more dangerous across the state. Um, and so we made the decision yesterday, we announced yesterday that we were going to full virtual learning for at least the first quarter. And, you know, district after district today has been making the same announcement. We've been seeing this trend across the street. The urban districts are the ones that are hit most hard by COVID. And they're the ones that are really making the call first. And then the surrounding districts are following the, following the course that we've been see- setting. So after some experience with distance learning in the spring, what's your thoughts and opinions on it now? Well, it's incredibly difficult. Um, <laughs> I could talk about this for hours. What we did in the spring was something that was sprung on us last minute. Um, on March 12th, the governor announced that school would be going virtual. Um, the last day was the next day, March 13th. We scrambled. We had an emergency board meeting on the 13th. And by that point, the curriculum team had already sat down and said, okay, how are we going to get lessons made for dissemination among our students? How are we going to, are we are we going to pass out some Chromebooks? We weren't able to pass out Chromebooks to students um, across the district. We had to do it to, per family that had the need. Um, and so we were scrambling. You know, we ended up pulling a couple teachers that made videos and we we tried to have as many lessons video uh, um, recorded and then um, mm-hmm. put on YouTube and then put on our uh, DPS TV channel. Um, but it was something that we did not plan for and we could not plan for. We are lucky that this summer we've been preparing for the eventuality that we had yesterday and we're doing things that are completely different from the spring. Um, It's going to be really, really hard. We're hoping that it can be done a lot better and a lot more effectively. We're obviously worried about all of our students. We did get some CARES money, so we were able to get Chromebook for every student in the district and every family will have their own hotspot we did have, I mean, last in the spring, not every family had access to Wi-Fi. Um, and we had to drive, we had to put mobile hotspot units in buses and drive them around the city on a schedule so students could connect. We had about 600 students that um, we couldn't even track down. You know, they most likely hunkered down and went to go live with family members. We didn't know they where they were. We had a lot of students that weren't able to do learning because they didn't have access to technology. So we're, we're in a different place now. Our teachers are ready. Our teachers miss their kids desperately and they want to connect with their students. So we're really hoping that things will um, be a lot more effective. We've also had time to adjust. You know, I don't like talking about the new normal because I don't think anything about what we're experiencing right now is normal. But we are ready to go back to a little bit of a semblance of our previous lives. And we all crave connection um, with each other and teachers especially really desperately love their children, uh, their students, and they really want to see them succeed. And so I think we're all ready to roll up our sleeves and do as best a job as we can this coming year. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more with Jocelyn about what life will be like going back to school here in the fall. Thanks for tuning in this episode of The Zag. We are back. Jocelyn, you have a kid or kids in the district. How old are your students? I actually have four kids in the district. Oh, even better. What's the age range? (laughs) I have a senior who's 17. I have a junior and they are 15. I have an eighth grader and he is 13. And I have a fifth grader and she is 10. And so what did you hear most frequently from them feedback-wise in the spring? And and what are you hearing as they look to this version of school when it starts here pretty soon? Well, what's funny in the spring is when things shut down, none of us had 
up to that point taken COVID as seriously, seriously mm. as we should have. Um, and so it was a little bit of a novelty. Um, I work from home. And so it was a little bit of an adjustment for me having them all home and doing their schoolwork. <laughs> I had to move my office away from my dining room table and set up camp somewhere else. They all, you know, they all really love school and they all really love the social aspect associated with school. So they were excited to do something new. Um, they're tired of it now. They, you know, COVID affects everybody. Um, we're all experiencing this collective societal trauma. It's difficult for everybody in completely different ways. Sometimes, you know, I have a bad day and then I look at my kids and they don't have, you know, they don't have the work that I have. They are bored. I am working all day long. I don't have time to keep them busy and entertain them. They can't go anywhere. Um, they can communicate with friends through, you know, small use of electronics, but I'm the kind of parent that monitors electronic use, you know, the mindless kind of electronic use. Um, and so when, before we announced that we were going virtual, we did have a plan where we were back to school five days a week, but parents could choose a remote learning option for their child if they chose, you know, if that was something that was, they felt was necessary. I told my two older kids, you know, I think you guys are old enough to make this decision on your own. You're going to be a junior and a senior. And their immediate response was, I want to go back. They didn't even, <laughs> I was like, you don't want to wait for five seconds and think about this choice at all. Um, and then I wasn't even sure about my, my last two children. Um, I think my third child would have done better in school. And so we were planning on sending him. My youngest would be fine either way. We were thinking about keeping her home. Um, they all miss their friends. They all miss school. Um, especially my senior who's looking forward to finishing his year. Can you imagine being a senior in this, in this world? Sure. Um, so they're all disappointed that they're not going to be able to see their friends, but they take COVID very, very seriously. So I think a, a really large part of their world was they feel relieved that they don't have to worry about masks and transmission and washing hands and things being different. Hey, last thing for folks that maybe aren't directly involved in education, but still want to support schools opening and, and kids having strong experiences uh, in school settings, like what ways can folks support your work or support educator work in general, or maybe even what issues do you think they should track or follow so they can kind of stay up to speed on, on all the different ways things are evolving and changing? Sure. That's a really good question. I don't know if I have the answer to that question. I think what they can do is, first of all, reach out to your friends that are parents and that are educators. Ask them if you can do anything for them personally. Um, one of the real troubling things, there's so many troubling things about COVID, but one of the things that I am watching very carefully and really concerned about is the way it disproportionately is hitting working women and mothers. Um, so many women are having to leave the workforce because they have to stay home with their children. Um, it's it is a true failure of this White House and this administration that they have prioritized the economy over the health and safety of its citizens. And so women are having to more likely than um, fathers have to drop out of the workforce so they can stay home with their children so they're not exposed to COVID. Um, in general, supporting education, you know, I talk about this as much as I can. Public education, education in general, but I specifically focus on public education in my work. Um, there is so much work to be done in terms of providing an equitable education. I would encourage everybody to educate themselves on the brilliant work by Nicole Hannah-Jones and her work reporting on desegregation and equity in schools and defending public education. Um, if anybody's interested in finding out more about that, read the work that she's done. Um, I would encourage a lot of the parents who are struggling with their white parents who are struggling with their privilege to really dive deep into 
the privilege that we hold when we are able to choose our school districts. Um, I tell everybody, you know, white people put segregation into place and it is the burden of white people to desegregate our schools. So um, beyond that, I don't know, you know, buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. It's really hard. My heart goes out to teachers and parents and students and everybody involved in education trying to make sure that the work of education doesn't stop. Absolutely. Well, listen, thanks so much for your work on the school board and of course your work at home with your kiddos. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Zag. Make sure to keep an eye on the feed as we're dropping more episodes in the coming days and weeks featuring folks who are tackling this going back to school issue from all angles. Make sure to check those out. All the places you get your podcast: SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple and Google. It's all there. And until next time, we'll catch you soon. Mm-hmm.